Today we have a very special guest, the man, the myth, the stick handling legend, Pavel Barber. Uh, Barber, thanks for taking the time to be here today. Yeah, happy to be here, man. Thanks for having me. Of course. And last we spoke, you were in the process of planning a move uh, back to your hometown of Toronto. What was it like growing up in the hockey mecca of the world and playing in probably the most infamous youth hockey league there is in the world, the GTHL? Yeah, I loved it. Uh, no shortage of rinks, that's for sure. Uh, free ice time in the wintertime on the outdoor rinks. Um, the GTHL was a fantastic league for me. Uh, spent the majority of the time on uh, the North York Knights. We had a pretty solid team, great coaching. So uh, can't complain there. It's uh, I, definitely something I miss. And one of the reasons I'm going back is just because hockey is just crazy down there. Now, any teammates from your the North, excuse me, North York Knights, you said, that end up making yeah. the show? No, not made it the show. Uh, one of my line mates, a centerman, played D1 college hockey uh, for the remainder of his uh, career. He was a fantastic uh, playmaker, puck protection guy. Like, he'd be the guy who, who would have the uh, the puck in on a on a penalty kill and just hold it for 30 seconds. He was he was insane. <laughs> like all the points of anyone on our on our team he was uh it was it was awesome to play with him that's for sure <laughs> yeah it sounds like it um aside from playing competitive ice and field hockey did you play any other sports growing up yeah lots of other sports i played competitive baseball uh growing up in the uh summertime uh, i was playing quite <clears throat> quite a bit of uh ball hockey as well uh, and field hockey uh, growing up, um, and then tennis. Tennis was my other big sport. I played uh, probably after the age of 14. I was playing like four or five times a week. Uh, I just loved playing that sport. I was a guy who just loved playing all sports, loved to be active, have fun with my friends. So uh, I, I don't think I'd have many friends if it wasn't for sports. <laughs> Looking through my contact <laughs> in my phone, they're all people I've met through sports. So it's uh, I love it. That's one of the beautiful parts of it, right? Um, Absolutely. Is that something you recommend to the young players you work with, like playing other sports? Yeah, 100%. I think it just makes you a more well-rounded athlete. There are studies that, that show it decreases your risk of injury if you're doing sports other than hockey. That being like sports like running, whether it's soccer or whether it's lacrosse, just using other muscle groups in different ways to help stabilize those uh, muscles you may not uh, use so much because in hockey we all know there's a uh, very uh, heavy emphasis on the hips and the groin so the more we can do to uh, strengthen those surrounding muscles I think it's uh, a huge ben beneficial uh, part to it but also just uh, the fun aspect and the cardio aspect you know doing other sports as a means to work out so if you're a hockey player uh, and you don't like running like me play tennis you know me play, play the, yeah like most people don't like running play tennis like I burn way more calories like I got this apple watch thing now and I'll compare my runs to my sports where I'm playing tennis or ball hockey or roller hockey I'm always burning more calories having more fun and I don't feel like I'm working when I'm playing sports so it's such a, it's almost like a cheat code when you enjoy it <laughs> and you get to socialize with your friends and have a good time. Like it's just, I love sports for that and highly recommend it to all young kids. Now, do you think there's any age though, that it's necessary to focus on like say a competitive hockey player growing up in Canada? Like, is there a certain age you hit that you think 
um, while you can still maybe cross train in the off season with these other things that they should probably focus on, uh, you know, ice. Yeah, absolutely. I'd say that age is probably around 12, 13 years old when you can start uh, more specializing. Uh, that being like, like you said, you're still cross training with other sports in the off season, but just the sheer time and uh, training load it takes on your body to compete at those high levels. If you're on the ice, like, five sometimes six times a day you can't really play another sport to that high degree and get the rest uh, and recovery you need uh you might be able to get in short little increments of uh of training in those other ones but it's something that where it's just like we're kind of uh in in terms of time management and and recovery for our body uh there comes a time where you probably need to specialize uh, quite a bit more, and I would say that'd be around maybe 12 or 13 uh, age bracket there. Makes sense. Now, I know at um, the age of 18, you had the opportunity to play field hockey for Team Canada. Um, tell us a little bit about that opportunity, and what was it like making that decision to focus on field hockey over ice? Yeah, it was it was a weird time in my life. Uh, obviously, amazing to represent my country it was a pretty foreign sport to me. I didn't pick up a stick until I was 17 years old. So oh, wow. making, the, making the national team, that was, I was 21 turning 22. So it was, you know, five years of intensive training and learning a new sport. I'd already played ball hockey, floorball, ice hockey, roller hockey. So I had that little bit of leverage, but it's quite a different sport when you really break it down. Um, and, uh, I think the the best thing about it was just, uh, you know, the traveling. That's what really got it for me. It was like deciding whether to go keep playing ice hockey or field hockey. It was like I wasn't going to really go anywhere in ice hockey with where I was at. I still wanted to play ice hockey, but I wanted to represent my country, hopefully make the Olympics um, and just travel and be able to play professionally uh, at a sport. And field hockey had quite a bit of funding under it because it's an Olympic uh, sport. So we got good government funding uh, to support our, our training efforts and our travel schedules. So uh, one of the best decisions I ever made was was picking up that sport. But at the same time, uh, choosing to quit uh, four years later was probably uh, a, the best decision, too, because it allowed me to focus on what I really want to do, which is the hockey training aspect. Which leads me into one of my next questions. Like, when did you know you wanted to be a coach and train young players? Yeah, I, I honestly, it was one of these moments I was teaching my friend, one of my best friends, Brandon Smith, on the ice. And, you know, we're just messing around. We're on the outdoor rink and I'm, I'm watching him play and we're doing some skills and he's struggling with him. And I just go over to him and I'm like, I want to help this guy. Like, he's one of my best friends and I can see where he's going wrong and I can see where I can help him. And then we make these minor tweaks and then he's got it and he was so excited to have this new move and all this stuff. And that, that's what really excited me initially. Uh, and then just, I kind of innately always have that uh, in me where I see a kid on the ice or I see someone struggling with something that I know I struggled with a lot because I went through all that trial and error process to get to where I'm at with my stick handling, like learning these things. And I want to be able to pass that on to people, uh, help them get the skill faster, be better. So being able to pass it on to a young kid is like the best feeling ever because I mean, you can uh, attest to this, like you look at eight-year-olds today and like, my yeah. God, they would crush me, uh, <laughs> like eight-year-old me 
back then in 1998. Like they are head above heels, way better at all aspects of the game. And it's awesome to be able to help that next generation. Yeah, it's, it's truly amazing. Some of the young skaters that Matt and I skate with that, you know, like you said, eight years old, they were better than I was at like 13, you know, and they've got <laughs> these unbelievable hands, probably a lot of it due to watching videos like yourself and, you know, checking out the other uh, stick handling wizard, Zach Bell, but, yeah. and, ex- and inspiring these young guys just to, you know, be creative and, and work on it. Um, yeah, I think that's a big thing too. It's just the, the amount of resources, like I'm one of thousands of you know great resources kids can use whether it's for breaking down the game uh, or uh, skills development there are so many great drill concepts breakdowns of skill iq like gameplay footage to help people so like these kids are now able to scroll through a phone and get a bunch of drills like i would have killed for that as a kid like i was scouring youtube like typing in like stick handling drill there was like three <laughs> like on- yeah, right like there was for us back then so i mean today there's just so much out there for these kids and uh and then the training aids like you can use a green biscuit on the pavement like that alone i know took it to a whole other level for these kids that that one was a game changer for sure yeah um you know i read a sports interview where you noted there were tons of power skating and shooting coaches but the game lacked a lot of the stick handling coaches even though you recognize the trend of puck handlers having a big impact in the NHL today. Uh, why do you think stick handling was so overlooked prior? And do you think the coaching and the players have caught up to that? Yeah, great question. Um, I think it was overlooked because we kind of had this idea in our minds back then that stick handling was like a finesse skill. It was like a showboat skill. It was a skill that could easily be stopped by a simple poke check, a simple hit, playing chest to chest. So in in people's minds, it was like if all things were perfect in our perfect uh, imaginary world, no stick handling move would work. And that's great. Like, but the problem is no one's flawless. Uh, and and the fact is there's countless examples of these players using these moves effectively. So for me, it was about making the jump between when are these moves putting you in danger or being ineffective versus when are these moves being applied correctly and having good outcomes? Because people make this ridiculous notion that like this move will get you hit. And I'm like, please look at my feed. There's so many examples of this exact move. Now it's possible to be hit using this move, but it's all situational, right? It's always situational. It always depends on the situation. So if I have a guy on my left, making a toe drag move to my left is probably not the brightest move. <laughs> probably get my clock clean. So it's like little things like that. But I think that was the mindset of coaches back then was just like stick handling. Some have it, some don't, but it's it's not a, a big part of the game. And it really wasn't in the early 90s, right? It wasn't like that much of a game changer as it is today, if we're going to relate it to today. But uh, to your second point, I think coaches have absolutely caught on now. Uh, to the point where almost everyone is teaching some form of puck control skills. And I think that's the big misconception with what I do. People think it's all like, when I'm training people, it's all like flashy one-on-one elimination. For me, it's all about puck control. So that can be related to uh, puck possession skills, uh, being related to catching a pass in the right spot, holding a defender off, 
uh, with one hand on the stick, uh, skating up the ice, building your stick handling into your stride. So both are working with each other. So you're able to keep the head up and things like that. So it's such a, a wide array of, of skills, but if you have great skating as your foundational skill underneath you, and you add good stick handling to that equation, you're going to be such a dangerous player. And we see it like guys like Braden Point and Matt Barzell are two of my favorites to watch because they are elite skaters with great puck control skills. Absolutely. And actually, who would you put in your top, if you had to make a list of top five set of hands in the NHL? Yeah, I know that's a tough one, but it is. I, I'm probably going to mess this up. I've made like top <laughs> four, but uh, I would say Patrick Kane be my number one. I'd have McDavid as my number two. I would have um, Barzell uh, probably as my number three. Uh, Pedersen, Elias Pedersen, I'd oh, have, yeah. and probably Pasternak. Uh, would be there as well in the top five. Obviously, you could argue 25 other guys could be up there, but those would be mine just off the top of my head. For sure. And you know what? Pedersen reminds me of, uh, well, I yeah. assume it's an ode, your name, an ode to Pavel Datsuk. He's like yeah. the one guy that's come into the league since then. And I'm like, there's a, something about his style. Uh, yeah. Very much replication. I couldn't agree more. I, I said that right when he got into the league. And even when he was in the SHL, I was watching a ton of his highlights. And I was like, man, like the stuff he's doing and his body language, it's like, it was clear that, I, I don't know if this is true, but it was, it's almost clear to me that he was a huge Pavel Dadsuk fan growing up. And he's one of the few players in the NHL that is like making uh, so much space without doing too much. Like he can, he can look off a guy and yeah. hardly talk and break a guy's ankles. And that's something Dadsuk was so well known for was like obviously he had great hands but so much of it was just his body right and how his body moved and Pedersen is so much like that and that little patience I feel like these guys have where they can make that little shoulder shift and get yeah. a defenseman to bite on that when so many other players would have already moved that puck whether it passed it shot it dumped it in the corner yeah. these guys yeah. just have that I don't know that that nerve that I certainly lacked back in the day <laughs> I always tell people that it's like uh, when you get to a level where you're very, very confident in your hands, you afford yourself that patience because you know as that gap shrinks, that's not the end of the world to you because you have outlets, you have moves to escape from that. Whereas players who don't have those skills, absolutely, you're going to be wanting to get that puck off your stick a little bit sooner than a, a guy who's uh, better suited in those tight areas. Absolutely. So what's it like getting on the NA, on the ice with some of these NHL players? I know you've worked with Jonathan Taves, who's, you know, a shootout specialist. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. What are those sessions like? So I know you've worked with Bertanen as well. Yeah. Yeah, they're very targeted. Like, we're – I basically have a framework I work within, and everything I do, there's no, like, written practice plan. But it's basically – you look at the player individually, like, what's their player identity? Like, for Taves, like, two-way forward, spend so much time in the middle – a lot of time in those small areas, getting pucks out of corners. So what what skills can I add to make you better at the specific areas of the ice you spend the most time on? So that's how I approach it. You approach it like the individual because everyone's got to have a, like something a bit tailor-made to them. And uh, I mean, with Taves, I loved it because he was very much like right off the start. He's like, if this doesn't look good, if this looks awful, tell me, right? You know, like He's like, like that mentality. He's like, I got to know. 
Uh, and then when I was telling him to do this instead of that, he was questioning it, like, why? And I love that. I love when players do that because everything I say, I base it off something. And I want them to know why I would rather this than that because situationally, then they're going to make the connection in their head uh, as to why one would be better than the other. So, for example, we were doing like an open-faced uh, hip hip pivot where you open your hips and fake one way and then one where you turn your back and do the same thing. And we were discussing uh, which, which one to use in what scenario. And it's like, we always want to be front-facing. We always want to see what's in front of us. But if the gap shrinks, which often in the NHL it does, puck protection is always our number one thought. So that's when you would turn your back to do that. So that was one of the questions Taves asked me there. And it was just so great because it was like, we're getting somewhere in this session. And I imagine, obviously, a practice with him is a little more targeted than maybe some of your youth players. So, but oh. how does and how does that change? So how do you approach maybe a session with one of your young guys compared to one of your professionals? Yeah, a great question. So it's like with a young player, they don't have they're not a pro. They, they don't have a specific role on a team. So we're trying to basically jam as many tools in their toolbox as possible. And we're doing it by priority. So it's like, what are the, the basic fundamental skills? You look at where their baseline is, uh, where they're, they're skating and stick handling together. Do they have that? Okay, we can move on to the next step. So for them, it's like we're, we're all about consistency, uh, being able to control the puck at the heel, being able to control the puck off the body, keep the top hand a fair distance from the hip, uh, and being able to scan around our body, looking with the puck, and then making moves in – it's like synchronization with our edges. So when we fake uh, right and then go left, the puck moves with the body at the same time without losing speed. Everything's efficient. Everything's in control. And there's just, there's so many stages, but it's all kind of a progression and we're not targeting anything with these kids. We're trying to give them that foundational skill, that, that baseline of skill that they can build on properly. And so much of the time they're high skill, but we have to go right back to the start because some of them are just like in tight to the body or their heels not aligned on the ice correctly. And it's just jamming them the whole time. So sometimes you really do have to go back and revisit the basics, but obviously if you're proficient in stick handling, you're going to pick it up quite a bit faster anyway, even though you're going backwards a bit. Makes sense. Now, do you have a favorite age or skill level that you like working with? Yeah, I would say, um, I mean, for the younger demographic, I definitely enjoy the 10, 10 to 12 range, uh, just because they got their edges down quite a bit better. They've got that baseline of uh, puck control down. They can keep the puck off their body a bit. And then it's about challenging them to scan the ice as they're doing it, do things with speed, uh, focus on their body language more. The younger demographic's a bit tricky. You got to be very, very patient um, when you're For using... Sure. Like even even using words like deception, like I hardly use that with a young kid because they don't know what that means. It's like a big word, right, to these kids. So it's like you have to dumb it down, which is fine. It's like with the young kids, it's like, okay, well, where do you want the defender to go? Okay, so what do you think you need to look like to get him to think you're going there, right? And I can say that same thing to a pro, right? It's like the same information you give a pro, but it's just dumbed down to uh, something that they can understand uh and comprehend but definitely as they get better it's a bit more fun because you can push them uh quite a bit harder <laughs> <laughs> um and you know from your instagram and youtube footage it looks like your hands are only getting better with age 
Uh, is that you think that's fair to say, or have you are you peaked at any age this, at this point? Yeah, it's it's something I'm afraid of uh, peaking, but uh, I I definitely think uh, I'm getting better with age. I I don't think I had very good uh, technically sound skills when I was younger, just because I didn't know what what that was. You know, I had okay hands, I guess, for for that uh, that time of uh, of existence. But uh, for as I started teaching and understanding and breaking down skills, that's where things really picked up for me because I was like looking at the best in the world. I was looking within myself, like what what did I feel uh, uh, built consistency better, uh, and what new skills can I add to my arsenal? I've I've definitely felt that I've gotten more consistent with my skills. I can do them quicker. I can do them looking up and scanning better, and I can do more skills. Um, so I think teaching is a big part of that. And when you teach, you have to learn a skill twice. That's basically how it works. So it's kind of a, a big benefit to be a coach because you're forced to really, really meticulously break down a skill into a progression plan for these kids. So for you, whenever you do a skill, you're like really, really deeply thinking about what's going right, what's going wrong. And if it is going wrong, where, and how can I fix it? I couldn't agree more. I've ever since I've been coaching, I thought about how I wish I would have done this maybe in the summers of my college seasons. Cause all these little things, whenever you need to suddenly need to communicate it to somebody and, you know, get really specific into the details, uh, just things that, that were totally over my head back in the, back in my uh, competitive days, I guess. Oh, yeah. I, I think that's that's one of the things I tell kids, too. It's like, if you want to get better at a skill, I'd get the 10-year-olds to try and teach the 7-year-old, right? Try to teach them just the basics of stick handling and see if you get choked up on any words or if you get choked up at any part of the instruction. Uh, and then analyze that. Ask questions. Ask a coach or, or, or look at video because that's what it does. Like, when you teach, you're like, because I've been like, even for myself, like I say things and then I'm like, wait, is that right? And I'll go back and I'll watch video and I'll try it out. And I'll be like, no, 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 that's, <laughs> that's not right. And then you, you evolve your thinking and, and you pass that on. So it's really a great tool for kids to learn is just to coach uh, other kids. And as a stick handling coach, what are some of those core tips to, for a player looking to develop hands like yours? I mean, I know you already mentioned having that top hand out and away from the, from the player's body, but what are other, some of those other core tips? Yeah, I would say really looking at the, the placement of the heel on the ice, and it's going to differ. Like some players do it differently. Uh, it's kind of measured by like the lie on your stick, basically. Uh, mm -hmm. But it's basically how high is your top hand. That's going to affect how the heel sits on the ice. Now, generally speaking, the heel is kind of on the ice and the toe is a little bit in the air. There's a little bit of space uh, underneath the toe. What happens is when you rotate on the forehand, your full blade is on the ice. Whereas if you have the full blade on the ice in the middle point, when you rotate, the heel actually comes up off the ice. And then the puck, when you touch it, comes into the body. And that's obviously something we don't want to do uh, as a basic skill. Like if you need to drag it in, that's fine. But when you're stick handling up the ice, you want that puck off the body, ready to shift uh, left, right, skate at top speed, look up, all that stuff. So that would be one of the, the basic skills. And then I would say the big thing I focus on is backhand. I, it's something a lot of coaches don't want to touch uh, at the young ages. I fully disagree with that notion. I think earlier the better with backhand stuff. So just holding the puck uh, and opening the blade so that you can go in a full circle 
without having to stick handle the puck or adjust it in any way, it's going to help you out so much in terms of puck protection because on the backhand side, as you get older too, we have the benefit of extending our stick by releasing that free hand off the body and getting that one hand on the stick. And that can open up new worlds for you. And as I mentioned, like those players like Barzell and Braden Point, they live off of like backhand side puck protection. Crosby, same thing. Yeah. Like got that around the back backhand pass. Uh, and all those backhand passes because he is so good and so confident on his backhand. Are there any common mistakes you see with young young skaters trying to improve their hands? Yeah, the, the most common one is really just blade rotation. And, you know, when we're talking about stick handling, it's you're getting really technical with it. But basically, the main thing is over rotation. So when they're just doing basic side to side stick handles, whether it's those small ones or, or large, what you'll see a lot, especially on the forehand side as they go to the backhand, uh, is they overdo it on the blade rotation. And it just makes them slower. It just makes them get to the puck slower and they're doing work and it seems like a small thing when you're doing one stick handle but when you add it up over time it's just it's very hard it adds an extra layer of difficulty adds extra time so really it's just about we want to rotate the blade to keep the puck flat and to get the puck to go in a direction we want it to that's really the basis of stick handling right it's getting the puck from point a to point b keeping it nice and flat keeping it nice and controlled off the body and when people are are too uh, non-mindful of their blade rotation, it's really hard to build that consistency. So I think the main thing I do is I do an overhead cam. So we're filming from the top down. You can actually see how much the blade rotates from that view. Uh, so you're, you'd be able to kind of see like here, like how much the blade is rotating uh, versus like if you're doing it uh, very uh, efficiently. I've never thought of uh, recording on that angle, I'll certainly have to try that out next time yeah. on the ice with some players. Yeah. Now, do, uh, do you prefer working with clients like ongoing, um, you know, throughout the year, or do you prefer some of those camps that I know you do not only in North America but even around the world? It's tough to say. I I, I definitely like the individual connection to the kids because I'm able to get very specific. I'm able to really dig deep into where are their flaws and I'm able to see their progression over time and really control things. Whereas when you get the big camps, you can't get individual, you can't get specific, which is fine, but it's just less of a connection. It's, it's going to be not as efficient uh, as a one-on-one -on -one session, of course, but I, I also love the camps because I'm able to reach more kids. I'm able to meet more of them. Some of them, uh, you know, are obviously fans of the channel or whatever it is. And some are, are just like, kids who just love hockey and want to be exposed to new methods and, and build, uh, build new skills. And I'm there for that. So that's the give and take. And you get a small group versus a big group, smaller groups. You can always have more impact. Uh, but obviously with the camps, you can reach more people. Uh, and, uh, you know, both are, both are fun, but I think definitely love the individual stuff more because I'm able to have more effect on them. Where have, uh, where have you all coached outside of the U S and Canada? this point because i know yeah. you have some fans uh, across the pacific as well yeah yeah no i i spent a lot of time in asia so i've been to uh malaysia i've been to thailand uh i've been to china twice uh i've been to uh japan uh i've been to sweden and i've been to the czech republic 
So getting around for sure. I think next stop I want to get to is Finland. Um, but, uh, and Russia, of course, um, pretty much anything's on the table for me. It's just got to work with my schedule. Cause it's, it's quite hectic when you get traveling. Sometimes I gotta be realistic with myself and be like, you gotta chill <laughs> a little bit. Cause I do want to be doing this for a long time. Uh, and I do want to love doing it for a long time. And sometimes when you get overworked, right. you know, it can, it can drain you and you never want that. So I'm, uh, I'm uh, definitely looking forward to reaching more places, though, and I'm I'm honored that I have followers from more than just uh, Canada and U.S. What was like the hockey like in Thailand and China? Yeah, it's very different. Uh, I mean, they just don't know uh, systems very well, which, of course, in a camp setting, you don't notice too much until it comes for the, like the inner squad games or the the scrimmages. Um, but they're they're very. It, it depends. Like Japan. It's so different from China and, and those other parts in Asia where Japan is just like hyper focused. Like I kid you not, like seven year olds and you've you've taught like young ages before. Like it, it takes a while to get them in. It takes a while to get them to stop shooting pucks and talk. Japan, I'll blow the whistle and you got a lineup of kids. Just <laughs> It was insane. The respect level and just that you can see it in the culture. It's just like don't waste this coach's time. Respect the coach. Honor the time that we have. And we're here. We have one hour. We're going to use this full hour. Like, that is their mentality. Uh, That's amazing. It was crazy. Like, they, I, I, I was, like, shocked when they, I blew the whistle. They were there. Like, they're bowing to you. And you're like, oh, my God. Like, I've never witnessed this before. And then, like, China is different. Like, China was a little bit uh, actually quite tough in, in one, one part uh, to, like, gather the kids and stuff. They just, like, loved the sport and wanted to, like, go off and shoot pucks and stuff. But, uh, you know, it's getting there. The, the skill level itself is uh, obviously quite a bit lower than it is here. But that being said, me thinking hockey wasn't very big over there, seeing how skilled some of the kids were was very impressive, given how small the sport was in those uh, countries. That's awesome. I, I know it's something that I would love to go. I mean, I, we were fortunate last year we were in China, but not enough time to go see a local rink and maybe work with some young players, but that's definitely on the bucket list. Yeah. Um, I, I know certainly a lot of these opportunities have presented themselves, uh, not only because you're, you're a great coach, but also you share a lot of your knowledge um, on your YouTube channel. What was your inspiration to create and share your first video? And was there any grander plan in mind when you shared that first video? Yeah, it's funny. There was no plan. Uh, like this whole thing started as just a, I guess, passion project and, I always tell people I'd be doing this even if I had 100 subscribers. Like, I love doing it. I love filming videos and having fun with my buddies and all this stuff, giving helpful tips. Um, and the, yeah, the first video that we did was just, you know, set up a, a phone uh, on a milk crate and just did shootout dangles against my buddy who was a goalie. And I was working at the University of British Columbia in between ice sessions. And, uh, we were just like, let's use this half an hour to film a fun video. And that was the first video I created. And a lot of those moves people hadn't seen before, like some of them I made up, some of them I saw elsewhere. So it got a good, uh, I guess, a good reaction. Not many uh, people were doing that stuff on YouTube at the time, certainly back then. So uh, I guess, yeah, that's how it started. And uh, as part of some of those dangles, I know you know, there's been some Michigans or maybe even we should call that the Svechnikov here coming up. Uh, <laughs> but you recently shared 
behind the scenes footage of you working with EA Sports on capturing footage of you doing both those moves. How did that partnership come about and what was it like working on a video game that I imagine you played probably a lot growing up? Yeah, yeah, I mean, I'll answer that last part first. Like it was a huge honor and played it quite a bit growing up. I was never good at it, uh, but I <laughs> definitely enjoyed uh, enjoyed playing it. Um, but uh, it was it was actually funny. Like it was three years ago that I, I started and uh, because they do it in Burnaby, uh, British Columbia, which is just a 25 minute drive for me to their EA headquarters. And uh, I think a buddy had mentioned uh, my name because they were like, we need motion capture people. And he's like, oh, my buddy Barber does uh, all the stick handling stuff if you want to use him. And they're like, oh, great. Like this was when they added the Datsuk move uh, into the game. So I was the guy like going in and doing the pullback Datsuk move and uh, whatever they told me to do. I was like, let's do it. Like I'll, I'm, I'm <laughs> Like, let's go. It was so much fun. Uh, but this past year was especially fun because we added that Svechnikov move or Michigan and the Kucherov move. And, uh, you know, it's it's really cool to get a behind the scenes look, too, because you appreciate the level of difficulty those guys have in making a move up here in the game and work with the controllers. And it a whole lot goes into it. So when you do see a move come out, uh, like when I saw the first guy do the the Michigan, I think it was Nasher on YouTube. I saw him do it. I was like, that looks sick. Like it looks <laughs> good, and it's it's cool to have a small part in that. Yeah, it's awesome. Now, did did they already have exactly what you, they wanted you to do, or do they are they asking for any of your feedback or input? Yeah, or yeah. They they actually uh, asked for my like uh, feedback, and they asked me to like put together a list of moves. Uh, a lot of those moves didn't go into the game because I had a lot of moves I wanted added to the game, and it was it was going to be way too much, of course. <laughs> Again, like so they're good till like yeah. NHL 26, but at this yeah. point with all those moves they have inventory. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully we'll see them in the next trickle in in the next five years. But uh, I think I brought 13 moves to the table that I thought could be in there, uh, and we did end up adding the uh, yeah the Svechnikov uh the uh the kutrov move uh we changed a few of the deeks a little bit like the spinorama and the toe drag just refining it um and uh my big thing was i wanted to get the backhand toe drag in there uh that's one move that's just so prevalent over the past few years in the nhl so hopefully in the next couple of years we'll we'll have that and i'll be working with them again yeah that'll look pretty dirty in a video game um at this point, do you think there's a distinction between the Michigan and the Svechnikov? I know this is a debate a couple of my buddies and I have, so I'd like you to settle the score. Yeah, I mean, just in terms of how the puck is picked up, they are very different. Uh, obviously, the finishing is the same. But the way I tell people uh, is the Michigan style, where you're bending down, you're pressing on the puck, it does take longer and it is more obvious. So the way when you watch Svechnikov do it, when you watch Forsberg do it, it's hard when a goalie is looking over their shoulder, especially got the blind spot there at the puck, uh, or if the puck is shielded by the net. It's hard to know they've elevated it onto their blade. But with the Michigan, you see him go down and press. You you kind of know it's coming. Plus, like I said, it takes more time. So I really think there's a lot more value in the way Svechnikov did it, where you just pull it in, you dig under the puck. Um, and do it. And I think you're going to get a lot more success there. And all across the pro leagues, the vast majority are using that method. So I think that's what the pros are seeing too. And now do you think that's going to grow in the game? 
Like a, yeah. You know, in a couple of years from now, is that almost going to be every few games we're going to see one of these? I don't think every few games, but it's 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 going to grow more for sure. I mean, just this past year, it it's grown exponentially in terms of attempts. Um, and it's funny, like when people are talking about the the fact they might make it illegal. Like there's there's no reason now. It's a low percentage move. Like for the amount of attempts versus goals, I mean, it's it's like two for like forty. Uh, or three for 40, sorry, especially it twice. So it's it's a low percentage move. It's going to get more high percentage, but uh, it is a move you're going to see quite a bit more. I mean, y- you're going to need to look for more creative ways to score goals as, as players get better. And realistically, like I always tell people, don't think of this as a showboat move. If you can consistently get it onto your blade, it's just an elevated wraparound. Everyone tries wraparounds. This is just one where the puck comes off the ice. If you can get it onto your stick like 80, 85% of the time, you know, it's a consistent move. It's just like any other move, right? So if it has an application, if the time is right, there's no better option. Why not try it? I love that perspective. Do you think there's um, any other trends like that that's coming into the game? Yeah, certainly the like the backhand toe drag between the legs move is becoming widely popular and that's a move i really really love because it's a bit different than the forehand pull between the legs in that the backhand toe drag involves a fake pass so you're faking to pass it laterally and you're redirecting that pass between your legs you're getting the defender stick out of your way to block the pass but you're also keeping that pass open so if the defender shuts down on your side you can just make that pass over so it's a great move you're seeing quite a bit more um other than that, uh, backhand toe drag in general is becoming more popular, like I mentioned. Just on zone entries, also Quinn Hughes, watch him. He'll use the backhand toe drag to do a quick turn uh, to keep the puck in tight to the body and get it to the forehand quick. So even on little transition moves uh, and zone entries, you're seeing that backhand toe being used. And then the last one, something I've been trying to teach uh, my pro clients and, and young players, is that wave in front of the puck. You watch Miro uh, Heiskanen, when he's entering the zone, he'll do it so much. He'll just wave in front to fake a pass over there, and then he'll shift and, and go there. It is very difficult to defend when you do it well. So I think that's going to uh, make its way into the league quite a bit more. You know, it's, it's just kind of funny looking back, you know, looking at the game now. Um, these are things that just weren't even part of it when we were playing, when we were growing up. And I, quite frankly, I never, they were not even my radar besides the Michigan, of course. I mean, I remember when the Michigan actually happened and watching that uh, <laughs> on TV, but these other moves really just weren't on our radar. And now, like you said, they're, they're getting pretty prevalent and there's so many young players that are now being exposed to them and how to even, and how to do them um, that I'm with you. I think these are moves that are going to be in our game for quite a while. And they do create some unique space and offensive opportunities uh, for the player. Yeah, but absolutely. So are you, I know you still love to play beer league. Are you just pulling these moves off left and right in beer league? Like at this <laughs> point, how many Svechnikov goals do you have? <laughs> Not too many, honestly. Uh, I've done it twice in like a, a low level, like uh, games or whatever it is. I don't get to play very much beer league just because uh, of my travel schedule. So anytime a buddy needs a ringer, like I'm down to do it. And, uh, you know, getting exercise, playing hockey, chilling with the boys, like, Count me in. I'm always down for that. Um, I have one really good skate that I go to in Vancouver. It's with the uh, university team, their alumni, so guys who used to play on the team and some current players. 
playing this pickup game. That's what I really like because it's challenging. Guys can play. Guys are making smart, smart moves. And there it's like, it's tough to, to make any moves. Like you, you hardly see any dangles out there. And that's what makes it uh, special for me to kind of try these moves, see what works, see what doesn't, and really, really push myself. Uh, and, and to be able to go full tilt without feeling bad, right? It's like it's all <laughs> playing at different levels and having to be like, all right, this guy can hardly skate, so I'll go 65% on him. And it's like, oh, this guy can skate, I'll go like 90. Like it's just, I never like doing that. I just want to play and compete for the puck, and at that skate, I'm able to actually do that. <laughs> yeah. Now, uh, what's on what's on the docket for you? What's next? I know you're, like you said, you're moving back to Toronto here soon. Uh, yeah. What can we expect from Pavel Barber coming up? Yeah, I think the the big move is, uh, you know, the reason I'm doing it is like, obviously, I got like a ton of friends and family there. I get a lot of work I can do there, like in the hockey hub that is Toronto. But also just content wise, I wanted the resources to be able to push out more content and the outdoor rinks alone, there are enough to get a guy like me uh, really, really excited. And Vancouver is pretty dead in terms of the resources you can use. The outdoor rinks here suck. It doesn't get cold enough to, to flood or anything like that. So I would always spend two months in Toronto every winter for the past eight years that I've lived in Vancouver. We're in Toronto because I had those rinks to film at. And now I'm going to have them for the full winter season. Uh, and I got all my contacts there and I just think everything's going to step up a notch for me in terms of my instruction, in terms of my social media, it's time. I was like, you know, at a little bit of a standstill here in Vancouver and I want to like push, push forward and do more. So that's, what's going to happen when I move to Toronto. That's awesome. That's really exciting. Um, before we get to some like quick hit questions at the end, it's one final question of any special advice for some young players out there or looking to, you know, compete at the next level? Yeah, I think the the biggest thing is the mental side, guys. When you're a young player, it's uh, you're going to get a lot of people telling you you can't, uh, telling you what your potential is, whatever it is. I think the, the biggest thing I wish I was told as a kid was no one knows what your potential is except for you. And that's going to be determined by how much you want it and the work you're willing to put in. So when someone does tell you like you're garbage or you won't amount to anything or whatever it is, it doesn't actually mean anything because uh, they don't know you. They don't know the work you're going to put in. And there's so many examples of NHL players who were told that. Look no further than like guys like Marty St. Louis, uh, guys like Johnny Goudreau, obviously smaller guys who were probably told no more than uh, the bigger guys. Like they fought through it and they knew what their potential was. So I think that's the biggest thing for these young kids is just, Try to block that off, try to put in the work, and maybe even use it as motivation to show them that they're wrong. I love that. And I'm always a big believer of, you know, control the controllable, right? You can't control what someone exactly. says to you or what the ref does or if the coach, you know, benches you for a minute. It's how you react to everything. Yeah, that's that's great advice, man. Um, all right, some quick little, quick little questions for you. So... I know you have used tons of equipment over the years, but what what's your curve you're rocking these days? TC2. It's a, a true curve, and it's basically like a P92. I get mine custom made a little bit, so I get the the max height blade, so it's a bit bit thicker, and then I have a little bit more curve on the toe uh, than a normal TC2. But it's basically a TC2 curve there. Cool. What kind of what flex? Uh, 75 flex. And what do you weigh? 
I weigh 162. Sorry, I know you didn't know there were so many personal questions coming at you. Oh, no, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and do you have a preference on kick point, whether low, mid, or you know, some of these ones now have a hybrid? Yeah, definitely low for me. I, I'm not a guy who gets people on uh, shots from uh, the top of the circle or further. I'm a quick release, catch them by surprise guy. <laughs> I'm with you on that. Uh, what kind of butt end grip do you go? Do you go tape or using a butt ends or? Yeah, I use the butt end. I think it's a twirl 88 is, is what it's called. Uh, I've loved those things since they came into existence. I was using something called a tacky Mac before similar concept, but it was a little bit too thick for my liking. It almost was like Mark Stone's <laughs> <laughs> yeah. massive. That's yeah. <laughs> quite a knob. He, he's rocking. Uh, uh, now do you switch it up with white and black or do you always stick one or the other? Yeah, I, I have to be black. I, I don't know what it is. It's this mental thing in my head. And I'm usually not, I'm not superstitious at all. I don't overthink things. Uh, but I need black tape on my blade for some reason. <laughs> and you go regular width or the wide stuff? Uh, sorry. Oh, the uh, for the tape, uh, just regular. Honestly, like it wouldn't bother me either or, but I use regular width. Gotcha. All right. Uh, what hollow you, do you use for your skates? Uh, I use uh, five eighths. Five eighths, good one. And then tongue in or out? Tongue is tucked under the shin pad for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I'm with you on that one. All right, last <laughs> five questions for you. They're pretty quick. Favorite sport to watch besides hockey? Tennis. Uh, ooh, well, I gotta throw this one in. Nadal or Federer? Uh, Federer. I have a one-handed backhand, and I learned it from Federer. So, but man, I love Nadal too. But definitely, Feds is my guy. <laughs> All right. Uh, favorite book you've read recently? Ooh, recently. Um, I would say. Or all time, if that. Yeah, I would say the monk who sold his Ferrari. Uh, really good book. It's actually Datsuk's favorite book as well. Um, but it's it's a very good book. I highly recommend anyone read. It kind of outlines. You know, when you're going through life, it's like, what's the purpose of certain things and not to take certain things for granted and material things really don't matter at the end of the day. It was a really life changing book for me. That's awesome. I'll have to check that one out. Um, your favorite two piece hockey stick combo from back <laughs> in the day. <laughs> oh, I, I got this one. I love these questions, man. I, I was the, the Synergy Grip Green. Yeah. And I would use a uh, Shanahan Curve Easton uh, Wood. <laughs> Easton Wood. All right. Yeah, buddy. <laughs> so is that the uh, the green one? I think that was the Grip Light, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Yeah, and I loved. I was a big fan of those Z Carbon blades with that Flex Point. Which, looking back at it, I don't know if that was like messing up anything else with like the Flex right. Point of the shaft, but I loved yeah. those when those came out. I was oh. a Madonna Curve though. That that Shanahan was. A little too, I think I was a six lie, and I'm like a hard five lie kind of guy. Oh, okay. Yeah, I've always so. been, like, not that I knew that back then, but, uh, yeah, I've been a six lie guy the whole time. That's a good choice, though. The grip light was such a great twig back in the day. Yeah. Uh, I know you're a big guy into, you know, your fitness and just staying healthy in general, but what's your favorite guilty pleasure food? Ooh, favorite guilty pleasure food. Um... I would say probably pumpkin pie. I'm like, I could eat a whole pie. <laughs> it would be hard to put one piece in front of me and get me to stop on those. <laughs> Fair enough. And last one for you. 
If you could have dinner with any three NHL players, past or present, who would they be? Okay. Uh, Pavel Datsuk, number one. Uh, Patrick Kane, number two. And, uh, geez, why not throw in Wayne Gretzky? You got you to gotta have that guy. It would just be right. wrong to invite him, right? <laughs> It'd be a little <laughs> insulting, I think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> awesome stuff uh you know for all of our listeners you can find pavo barber on instagram at hey barber and at, at pavo barber training all one word and find him on his youtube it's simply pavo barber as well barbs i really can't thank you enough for taking the time to be here today anytime man i i, I had a lot of fun <laughs>